I would have just, again, picked one simple asset class and only bought nice buildings within that asset class. That's it. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercoss, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to the Big Picture Blueprint with Mason McDonald and myself, Dan Habercost. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about how we would have done things differently if we're starting over. Uh, but before we get into that, how's it going, Mason? How's business? Business is great. Uh, we just put out an episode. Um, it's October 2nd, 2023. We just put an episode out about the fall market. And since that episode came out, uh, business has even gotten better for me. So it's, and that's been four days. Um, so things are great. Sales are up. Acquisitions are a little bit down, but uh, lots of new opportunities. What about business for you, Dan? Yeah. Uh, as I've been saying, it, it really feels a lot like 2021 where I'm doing business. And then here in Colorado, there's a bit of seasonality back. So I'm excited here as it gets colder, both literally and metaphorically to make some low offers on potential rental properties. So uh, I'm having fun. That's the beauty of arbitraging different markets around the country where you make money where it's hot and you buy where it's cold. There we go. Couldn't have said it better. But today's episode, I think, is going to be fun. I think we all will look back in hindsight, which tends to have 2020 vision of how we would have done things differently. And I think for both of us, we would have approached our business a lot differently. And I think potentially we would have approached our education and our careers differently if we had gotten started. But Dan, you had an interesting experience growing up. You got started working pretty early, but why don't you give a little uh, 20 second spiel about where you were when you were 18 years old with your experience and then kind of what you did and what you would have done differently after you graduated high school? Yeah. So when I was 18, I already kind of managed other people's businesses. So uh, in high school, I managed a Christmas tree farm, which is just a ton of spruce trees, fir trees, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, evergreens was the word I was looking for. But I also managed that guy's rental properties because he'd go to Aruba for most of the year. And so, I mean, I had been managing people for a number of years when I was 18. And I actually had already branched off and started a little landscaping company with one of my buddies that we were doing on the side, just going door to door, calling everyone we know and getting, uh, getting business that way. So I did have a slightly you know, unique view at 18 in that I was already kind of used to running things. Um, and so I ended up going to college while doing that landscaping business to start. Uh, and then the last couple of years of school, I, uh, the last two actually, because I did community college the first two years because I was paying for it and that was cheap. In the last two years when I was finishing and it got more expensive because you can't go to community college for four years to get a, a bachelor's degree. I worked full time those last two years managing uh, a big portion of a landscaping company, somebody else's. And um, yeah, that in hindsight, I remember bef right before I was finishing, I, I, I thought, wow, this was a waste of $50,000. I learned a lot about business from managing other people's, but these classes are pretty useless. And I graduated at the four, so it's not like I just wasn't doing that work. Uh, so that was kind of my experience. Hmm. Do you think going back, would you have still gone to college? Do you think in your career or in your business, it's used to, useful to have that bachelor's degree? Do you think you would have gone to the same school? Do you think you would have gone to potentially a better school? Um, or what What do you think, if you could go back right now when you're 18, what would you have told yourself? I can't speak to what Harvard, Harvard business degree is like or, you know, an Ivy League school. 
but I can tell you that mine was useless. And uh, the buddy that I did that landscaping with when we were in high school, uh, the landscaping company with, he uh, he was our valedictorian. And so he went off to a nice school. He went to Baldwin Wallace. And I remember he and I texting as we were finishing up and he said the same thing. And he also graduated with a 4.0. So no, I absolutely would not have done that. I mean, if I wanted to be a chemist or a doctor or something very specific, that's really the only route. But um, don't conflate uh, the American college system with the word education. I think that's a fair point. I think um, it's challenging and you know, I'll share my experience in a minute, but it's college is a business in the United States. And while there are some very mission focused uh, universities out there that are focused on research and really educating the, the public, a business has one purpose and that is to make money. And their goal is to have high levels of tuition uh, dollar amount as well as enrollment. Um, and they print money, whether it's sports or academia or anything like that. So I think there there is definitely a lot of nuance with the approach to higher education where um, it can be beneficial, but it can also be a tremendous waste of money because you're signing up for a potentially five, six, or seven-figure decision when you're 16, 17, 18 years old and your prefrontal cortex is not developed at that point in time to be able to make a decision like that. Yeah, that's such a good point. In hindsight, so to actually answer your question, in hindsight, I wish I would have just gone an 18-year-old me had gotten a sales job or something or continued with that landscaping company that my, my buddy and I did or, or something like that because, man, I, I did not get much out of school. What I did get was just further maturing and, and learning how to manage a lot, doing school along with the full-time job. So that was useful, but uh, it was more just filler. Uh, but now I turn that around to you. Same question. Yeah. So when, when I graduated high school, I, I graduated towards towards the top of my class. Education was always a huge focus in my family. I did work throughout high school, uh, worked my way up at a swimming pool store. Uh, it wasn't hard to because there were three employees, um, but it, uh, it, it it taught me a little bit about retail and business. And um, I thought I was making big bucks when I graduated high school, making 10 bucks an hour, but uh, didn't have a tremendous amount of work experience beyond kind of seeing what my parents did, um, both my dad in real estate and then my mom and stepdad in technology. But I, I went to a four-year university with the intention of getting a, an undergraduate degree to eventually go on to a professional school to go and go to medical school was my initial intention. So I always knew education was going to be there. I got a degree in neuroscience uh, from Baylor, which is a pretty pretty decent school down in Texas. And I think kind of similar to you, what college taught me, what undergrad taught me at least more than anything was how to balance a tremendous amount of work and social responsibilities uh, at the same time, where I think about junior, senior year where, or junior year studying for the MCAT and um, taking 17 hours of advanced science classes, as well as being a, in a leadership position in my fraternity and interning at the VA and uh, working as a server. Um, I, I was sleeping three hours a night uh, on good nights. And so I think being able to manage that grown-up life got more simple for me because I wasn't working constantly. I wasn't staying up till three o'clock in the morning after a party and you know studying all, all day and night. So I, I think I learned a lot, but going back to the actual classes in college, I think college did te me, teach me a decent amount about uh, professionalism in writing and um, teaching or being exposed to tons of different people from tons of different financial backgrounds and students all over the world, I think give me a lot of different perspectives. Uh, the mark of an educated man is to be able to hear an idea without accepting it. So I think, um, you know, political views changed, my approach to the world changed, but man, the classes I really loved were 
French and foreign languages. So uh, that neuroscience degree didn't do a ton for me necessarily in the day-to-day, but I continued my education after undergrad. I went and got a master's degree in healthcare administration um, from Trinity University in San Antonio that I think kind of jump-started me into the corporate career, which was something that I never quite was excited about. But I think whenever you see that is what the goal is for everyone around you of go get a good job and go work for the man, go work for a Fortune 500 company and keep working up in leadership positions. So I think education kind of prepared me, which is why I feel like we have different views on it, where I think education was great from the standpoint of it prepared me to get a good and high paying job that led to a very successful career. But man, going back, I would have, it's hard to say because my career was very beneficial, but I think I would have studied a different language and tried to study abroad more and really just gain a different perspective to help me advance in my own individual pursuits rather than what uh, America trains you to do, which is be a producer and then a consumer. So you would have gone to school, but you would have done it a bit differently, it sounds like. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. So from there, you went on and I, I went on and I, I very, I mean, briefly had a job. I think it was within uh, 12 months of graduating school that I was done with my last job. It was pretty clear quickly. I couldn't work for somebody. Um, but on, on your end, you went into the the career as a hospital CEO, well, eventually hospital CEO. Um, so I don't know, how how important was that to ultimately starting your business? I think, um, man, I'm. It, it, it's hard to say I, I really enjoyed my career, um, my very short-lived career, which was technically three years um, after my residency of one year as an associate administrator, one year as a COO, and one year as a CEO. So I had the, the very rapid rise, burn, burn bright, and then <laughs> burnt out very quickly. But it was very beneficial. Having the career, working for a large corporation, getting to see the right way to do things as well as the wrong way to do things, getting to see what all of the red tape from whether it's organizational politics and structure to government involvement and everything. Uh, I, I ran a nine-figure organization in my mid-20s, so it gave me a ton of experience that's really beneficial that gives me a track record where people are likely to trust me in business because of that experience. But it's it's hard not to go back and look at my real estate business, which has made me significantly more money than I made in the entirety of my career this year, and not have some regret of getting started with it earlier. But I do think and hope that as my business continues to evolve to a point where it is an eight, nine, ten figure company, that I that's not as scary from a big number standpoint. Um, so I, I think it was really beneficial, but. What about you? You you uh, you lasted even longer or shorter in corporate corporate America than I did. Those those twelve months. What did what did it teach you? And do you wish you had not had that experience, or do you think it was beneficial? Yeah, that's a good question because that job, both in high school and college, was useful. There was a number of different jobs, but especially the the where I was managing the rentals and the farm and in high school that was very useful. And then the uh, last two years of college, where I managed that landscaping company, those were both important in learning how to manage people, how to sell, you know, selling work, how to manage a book of business, you know, everything that goes into a business. So I don't regret that. Uh, that was a great learning experience. But then when I moved out to Colorado uh, 2018, I just took whatever job I could get uh, to get out here. And I did some recruiting for a while and I absolutely hated that. That My bosses in high school and college knew better. They just left me alone. I mean, I was on totally on my own, set my own uh, hours most of the time, how I did, they, they knew better. 
And then that job I had out here, I actually had set hours other than kicking me in the ass to quit being lazy and go get my business started. So it was useful. That last one, that recruiting job was useful in that sense. So it, cre- it created enough pain to force you to take action, but it sounds like you were never going to be a careerist. You were never going to be like, I'm going to go work from associate to manager to director to VP or something like that. You never had those ambition- ambitions, did you? No. Yeah. No, I had a weird dynamic as a child with my parents where by the time I was like 12 or 13, they kind of just left me alone. They didn't tell me what to do. They didn't tell me when I could go or stay or go. I could come home whenever I wanted, didn't ask me where I was. And so I just, the idea of having anyone manage me or give me set hours for anything was absolutely unacceptable. Which for some people, that sounds so refreshing that there is a possibility out there and it's only your own choices and decisions that either allow you to make that happen or not make that happen. But for the other person, the prescriptive path is really nice. If you know, if you go get this degree and you follow along this track at the same company, look, look at our parents where you see tenure at organizations, 20, 30, 40 years, whenever there were pension plans and stuff like that. So I think, um, and Dan, I'm going to make a point about you that th- some of the viewers might not be getting. Just because Dan is not into the idea of um, higher education and the capacity of going out to be the entrepreneur, Dan is a an avid reader and he is very yeah. well-spoken and he writes professionally and understands grammar and syntax and how, how the world works. And I think that um, while it is not necessary in all aspects of business to be well-written and well-spoken, I think that's something that Dan has that he intentionally learned that makes him an arm and a leg above everybody else that is attempting to do business because man, that's, if you're not used to writing an email in a complete sentence, I, I do look at you differently and that's not right of me. That's very judgmental of me, but I I think Dan, you are into education. It's just self-education. Well, yes. And, and I just have a very negative view of the American education system and all that comes with that, but we don't have to go down that route and I shouldn't stereotype entire groups of people. So that's me. Um, yes. So I have always, 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 uh, uh, been an avid reader. I am always open to the fact that I, I certainly don't know most things, let alone everything. And so yes, learning is very important to me. I just, uh, I just felt like the, the, let me put it this way. First year of college, I write a paper. It had to do with stem cells. And this is something I find interesting. If I was doing something on, on just what I find interesting, I'd probably be a doctor or a physicist or something. And my, my teacher calls me because he had everyone's cell phone number. He was the cool teacher that would text, Dan, who helped you write this? It's okay. You know, we can work through this, but you didn't write this. I wrote that the night before it was due in two hours. All right. And I'm still pissed about it to this day. And so that, if it kind of gives you a sense as to one of the many reasons and experiences I had that made me just resent the American higher education system. Yes. Education is very important. I just don't think our current system does it very well. And that, that right there, I think kind of summarizes our points where if it's learning for the sake of learning and you can go out and study what you're interested in. You don't necessarily have to do it in a formalized approach unless your personality is one where if you don't pay for something, you're not going to go do it. Uh, I think, I don't know, for any younger kids looking at it, we're not giving, we're not attempting to give any sort of advice uh, related to what you should do from a college standpoint. We both have different experiences from it, but just think about it. Think about everything and think about what your goals are and your long-term vision is and uh, recognize that as someone that loves science with Dan and someone that studied it formally with myself, your brain's not developed. Like our brains are just now getting developed um, in our late 20s. So uh, there is this shift that occurs. But moving it on to what I feel like we, we want to talk about for a majority of this episode is 
when we actually started our business, uh, kind of how we would have gone back and done things differently if we could jump back into the shoes where, Dan, you're what, I don't know, 22, 23 years old. You've quit your job, your failed career at Enterprise or, or wherever it was. Um, <laughs> you started this business um, in land acquisition, sales and development. How would you have done it differently? Yeah. So first distinction I want to make, there is the active business and there is the passive investing or more passive, right? The long-term versus more the just cash printing machine. So this often gets confused where 20-year-old me started listening to podcasts, Bigger Pockets, Red Rich Set, Poor Debt. And I went and bought my first rental when I was 21. And all I thought about was the accrual of units, right? That's what all the podcasts talk about, how many units, which in hindsight is one of the stupidest metrics. And there's all kinds of analogies I could make, but I'll just leave it at that. Uh, dumb metrics like that don't really need anything. And that was what was on my mind because I was all about passive income and getting more units because that's what I heard on the podcast. So I was 21 and impressionable. So I went out and I bought that duplex. In hindsight, I would have, first of all, explained to myself, no, 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 you need to go start an active business that scales your income so that you can then go buy nice units, i.e. investing, and then shelter that income from taxes. I would have made that distinction. I would have started an active business. And then one more thing, I know I'm ranting a little bit here. I want I want what you have to say, but I would have let myself go do a house hack every year just to reduce my living expenses and start to accrue nice properties with minimal down payments. So, and, and to to break it down um, and to differentiate, because right, right now we're kind of talking about our initial investing journey rather than our startup of a business journey, because- you're right. That, that's what a lot of the podcasts, and I, I don't listen to them as much as, as I used to. Um, I just listen to my own because it's so good. Uh, just kidding. But um, is you you need to get rental properties that eventually replace your income. It's the entire idea of rich dad, poor dad, buy assets to pay for your liabilities from a, a simplified accounting perspective. And, and eventually you will get very wealthy over a very long period of time and if your cost of living is $10,000 per month, uh, how many single family rentals do you need to buy to do that? And it's like, what, freaking 100, um, ideally, until something breaks if you're in the wrong market. And I think for me, um, my, my investing journey started later than yours. Uh, you know, I only have a handful of units at this point in time, and most of my money is in uh, ver various different accounts and stuff like that. It's all, all kind of in the business. But I think that idea right there, Dan, is it's good to do, uh, especially if you're young, if you're single, the house hacking idea is brilliant. It's a really great way to get your basic cost of living complete or covered uh, pretty early on. But I think Ryan Pineda makes the great point of find a skill where you can make 250 grand a year actively and then start investing. Yes. You don't need to be yes. putting scraping every 12 cents away to put into an account to eventually buy a $200,000 home skipping out on Starbucks and the avocado toast and all the the stuff that you hear from baby boomers of what is holding back millennials and Gen Z and uh, the Gen Xers from achieving financial independence is not that. It's you're not actively making enough money. And it all depends on your individual tolerance and what type of lifestyle, but try and find something that you're really good at and make six, seven figures a year doing it actively and then start investing. Don't worry about getting those units when you're 22 years old. It just doesn't make sense. No, I agree strongly. Unless you're 22 and you already figured out the active business. That's the whole point is you make money and then put it into nice buy and hold 
real estate. The, the whole problem here and, and what 21-year-old me was suckered into is all these podcasts that talk about low and no money down because that gets listeners and it gets clicks and that's what they're incentivized to do more than anything. And so, yes, you can get deals with low and no money down, but it's hard. And thinking via, uh, you know, thinking through opportunity costs, I would much rather have spent that time just building the active business. You know, I have a friend who built and sold an insurance agency and buys a lot of self-storage. Or, uh, I mean, you could make the active business being a real estate agent or a loan broker, whatever it might be. Uh, but I, I, I wish that distinction was made in my head earlier and just, hey, Dan, go figure out how to make, you know, two, three, four hundred grand and just start buying nice shoes. Absolutely. And there, there's a lot of ways to be able to make 200 grand a year. And you'd be surprised by how many people are capable of making that much money in trades and businesses and areas that you would never quite expect. Um, I think that uh, it, it, it's just such a necessary point to drive home because it, it's so easy to get caught up in it. And what ends up happening is I, I think because if you get caught up with the idea of a random metric, like number of doors or number of units or whatever it is, and your monthly cash flow and anything that cash flows is good. It ends up creating, I mean, for, for me, for instance, I, I wanted to buy a house. Uh, my, I guess, fiance at the time, um, and I bought a house back in 2018 in San Antonio. Uh, we were broke. We had just, I had just finished graduate school. I was making no money. She started a job and she was making okay money for fresh out of college. But we knew we needed to buy a house because we weren't going to continue to be renters. But our cost for that house was $1,500 more per month than that than the apartment we were renting in, which we were comfortable in. And when we sold that house, we ended up making no money on it. We bought it at the worst time and we sold it at the worst time. And it was a great experience. But if you get too caught up on the idea of what you hear, rather than just focusing on making money, just don't don't let yourself be house poor. Don't let yourself be investment poor, even if it seems like it's making an investment. But to kind of pivot and shift gears into the actual actual active business, man, uh, we we've known each other for just over a year now, and I feel like our both of our businesses in the past year have dramatically changed. And we talk about stuff that we're doing now that we're like, man, I wish we started doing that when we first knew each other. But compare that to what we should have been doing when we first got started. Dan, what's one thing that when you got this business started, you would have done very differently. So like everyone else, I did, it took me way too long to just pick one thing and stick with it. Again, I, I, I used to listen to podcasts a lot. I don't quite as much anymore. And I would hear about all these different strategies. And so, of course, I sent some mailers out for land. I did some cold calling to try and get houses to flip. I did too many things and failed at all of them. So number one, I would have picked one simple thing and... I would have started, well, yeah, let me just stop there before I keep going. I would have picked one thing and stuck with it because you can make millions of dollars in any of these niches, but you can't do it at all. And question on that, with picking one thing, so you had the risk tolerance and you were, I guess, and this is another question on top of it, you you were financially able to quit your job and start your own business. Um, would you have started your business doing that one thing or would you have gone and done it for someone more successful doing that one thing? Uh, for me personally, for you personally, I would not have done it for somebody else in hindsight. Well, that's a hard one, but probably not because it wouldn't have lasted long, even if I did it. Again, to the listeners, that's just me knowing myself. It could be a great opportunity if you want to be a, you know, whatever land or new construction or, uh, spec builder to go work for someone doing that. For me, I would have just uh, done it for myself. And yes, I had the ability to quit my job because I was 
house hacking aggressively, which was awful. I spent years renting out all the rooms and houses and living them and going from house to house. I'll never do it again. It was awful, but it was well worth it. There you go. And and I think that's something everyone needs to think about from their own individual tolerance for risk and where they are, where that was a hard transition for me getting started was I, I jumped into my business uh, without having all of the stuff that I was used to built out, all the policies and procedures and standard operating procedures, where I think um, for me in hindsight, I think I would have gone back and done what you recommended to me as the very first thing, which is for the entirety of the process flow of my business, I would have recorded myself doing it and documented every step of the way because I just recently built out my policies and procedures not too long ago in the past handful of months. And I think had I done that earlier on, I would have been able to figure out what that one thing within the business that I was really good at was and started hiring earlier, which I think I think we can both agree on. Do you think, do you, think you would have hired earlier? Yes. Uh, that's such a, what a good transition. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you next. So you took a little too long to build out your SOPs. I was the same way. And that's standard operating procedures to so anyone, anyone isn't familiar with that acronym. And I absolutely would have hired earlier. However, I would not have hired for acquisitions earlier. I am good at it, although I don't enjoy it. And that was, could have been bad offloading the key revenue generator for the business first. Do you have any thoughts on that? I agree completely. I think it's, you, you have to be careful whenever you're in a startup phase of it's, it's really easy to hear from people, delegate, delegate, automate everything in your business. But the problem is if you are not purchasing what is a turnkey business or a turnkey business package from someone that has all of this stuff that we're talking about, an organizational chart and standard operating procedures and every job description, employee contracts and everything built out, and you need to be the employee in your business first. Uh, some of the stuff you hear, the, the cash flow quadrant, for instance, of you need to be self-employed before you're a business owner. And that's my opinion, and I'm sure people can contradict that if they want to. But whatever it is that is generating the most money in this business, which for the land acquisition and sales, it's acquisitions. So it's all of the lead flow up until the point of transaction coordination, where I think you need to be the one that attempts to do it. Because if you can't even attempt to create a lead flow and acquire properties with, within our own specific business or whatever it is that generates the most money, it might not be the right business for you. Um, as your first startup, you might need to kind of look at something else. If you're really bad at it, if you've been in land acquisition and sales and you've been doing it for two years and you have two deals, you're maybe in the wrong business. Um, so I think you should do every job in your business at the beginning and then kind of figure out what you're bad at and then, then hire it out. Um, potentially from a contract standpoint, but so not acquisitions. Um, we can agree on that. What, what would you have hired first in your business um, or delegated first in your business going back? Transaction coordination and all just the very low dollar an hour, simple sort of tasks. Uh, you know, I, I tries me nuts, but things always come up in the TC process. Title company needing things, just little crap that wastes your time. So that is low stakes, right? If you're not super talented at talking to people, you could still do that. So I would have started with just the lowest uh, dollar per hour sort of test like that. I agree with you. I think I think it's um, when you look at the business and <laughs> if you follow what we're saying here of with what Dan said is pick something that you're good at and what I'm saying, which is record yourself and document everything you're doing. 
what you can do after 90 days, and I don't do this, so do, do as I say, not as I do. If you tracked how much time you were actively spending on those one or two things within your business and you'd done a good job recording yourself doing it, you could look and say, you know what? I worked 19 hours a week. I spent 14 hours a week on acquisitions. And in the last 90 days, I made or created within my accounts receivable $75,000. So my dollar per hour for acquisitions is this. And if you have the bandwidth to increase that time and delegate all that other stuff that you're doing, I mean, you're hearing these 19, 20 hours because that's probably closer to what we actually work, then delegate it and spend more time doing that. And then eventually you will have gotten so good at it and you have so much material to draw back on. You can hire someone to do that job of acquisitions and do it concurrently with you as you start to grow and scale. Yeah, no, that that's an excellent point. Uh, I think that uh, we can move on from that because I think you, you made that point well. So anything else in your income producing business, so your land business that you would have done differently in hindsight? No, I I think the delegation of due diligence, which I've, I've hit on in other episodes, and just like you said, transaction coordination. Um, and I think I think now with where I'm at, because I'm I'm willing to admit that I'm still new in this business. Of I am almost at two years from purchasing my first deal uh, next month, and I think an assistant is my next next hire that I would do now. Um, and I kind of wish I had hired one a lot sooner than I am, than I'm going to hire one because a good assistant will have solved all of these problems that we're talking about from documenting your standard operating procedures to assistance with transaction coordination and due diligence and everything. So I think that's kind of my one thing that I wish I had done earlier and that I need to do now. Yeah, I, I probably should do the same or some form of an assistant. One other thing I wanted to add is I don't know if you fell as short as I did here, but I was small-minded about spending money on marketing. So I had markets that were producing like crazy in you know, 2019, 2020, and I was scared to spend more money on marketing, even though I was getting a crazy ROI. And so, I mean, this just goes back to things that were drilled in my head as a kid that took longer to get, a, get away from than it should have. But um, be clear on what is just spending money and, and, and the money's gone versus uh, expenses versus uh, marketing or any sort of expense that gets you an ROI. I said that very poorly, but be clear on what you spend money on and it's just gone and what you spend money on and it yields 5X in 90 days. That's what I'm trying to say because my goodness, if I could go back to 2019, 2020, I'd be sending a lot of mail. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, you, you've spoken about it before of Pueblo West uh, Colorado was a market that you have and are in and the value of land tripled overnight. And if you had recognized, because before that happened, you had already been doing deals, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you say, okay, this is a producing market. I need to do way, way, way more. I need to quadruple down or 10X down. And I've got it behind me. If you're watching uh, the recent book by Alex Formosi called $100 million Leads. And in it, he mentions with generation of leads, you need to either be doing more, better, or new and um, for lead generation tactics. And I think, Dan, you're, you're right on of, I wish from the beginning, especially whenever I was making a lot of money and you know the market's kind of shifting back to what it was more like whenever I first got started of put a piece of land on the market and within a few days or a few weeks max, you start getting offers that are full price cash offers. In those markets that were doing that, I wish instead of sending a few hundred mailers to, I wish I had sent 10,000 to. 
you got to make money to spend, or you got to spend money to make money is the, the, the summary of that. And I wonder if five years from now, we'll look back and say the same thing about now. Food for thought. Okay. I think I said everything I wanted to say about the active business. So front range land in my case, uh, I'd like to speak a little bit more about what I do differently on the actual buy and hold investing. Yeah, absolutely. So you recognize that we've kind of walked through our history chronologically to the point where we have successful active income generating businesses. Now this is why we're focusing on the true investing portion of buy and hold, not at the beginning. So what what would you have done differently approaching it? So one thing that's similar to to the land business is I would have been better about recording SOPs and offloading property management sooner. I mean, I should have done this years and years ago. Property managers just finally putting together a list of all the furnace filter, filter sizes and all the different properties, stuff like that. I should have done much sooner. All right. So, you know, big surprise there. I would have offloaded property management much sooner as well. Let's see. I would have just, again, picked one simple asset class and only bought nice buildings within that asset class. That's it. Um, I, I, I just have residential housing, but I did get distracted another number of times looking at other asset classes. At least for now, just staying there is just fine. And there's some properties I have that are probably C plus that I wouldn't have bought again. I think those are all great points. It's the idea of delegation and focusing on something. Um, we're, we're both entrepreneurs. We both get shiny object syndrome. Uh, there's so much opportunity out there, whether it's active or passive business um, and income generating or investing. And it, it's hard to stick with one thing. Um, and whenever you can stick with one thing, you become an expert on it. And then when you become an expert, you can train other experts on it. And then you can go focus on the next thing. Yeah, that's so important. I'm glad you said that earlier and then just said it again of that you need to be the self-employed before you're the business owner. Because if you don't know all the steps in the process to the business you're, you're, you're building and trying to hire people for, one more point I'd like to make there, the whole me saying I want nice real estate, you know, B plus or better, it's not meant to be any sort of like pretentiousness or anything like that there. It's simply a matter of the pain in the ass with older and crappier properties. The reality is there's just more headache there's so like I think of Cleveland. Growing up near Cleveland, you're dealing with very old housing stock, both you know apartments and single family, everything, and the pain in the butt involved with that, just the constant repairs, things breaking, you know, door sizes and 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 sizes of everything being different. You know, my duplex in in Parma, Ohio, still has knob and tube wiring. That's still normal in a lot of buildings back there. Uh, and then along with that, you just you don't get as good as tenants, and there's more headache there. So all that to say. I would rather accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish with fewer units that are very, very nice than more units. Like I saw a building in Pueblo West that's been sitting on the market, and it's a massive duplex where each side is 2,800 square foot, built in the 2000s. It's very expensive. I would much rather, I haven't ran the numbers on that one, but point B, I'd much rather go buy the million dollar duplex that just breaks even in totality, you know, expensive repairs and everything breaks even, do a cost segregation on that. Then go spend a million dollars on a 10 unit that requires time, effort, and management to make a thousand bucks a month. That's it, it's super wise. And, and it's the idea of while we're not lazy individuals, if you're trying to develop or create a passive portfolio, um, don't necessarily turn it into an active business unless that's what you want your active business to do. And that's what Dan, Dan desires. And um, for, for me on the buy and hold side, as a, a newbie to it, uh, my 
first buy and hold is if you listen to bigger pockets, it's long distance real, real estate investing with a burr. And while it is going to be an amazing investment and in 10 years, assuming the renovations ever get completed within the next decade, uh, and I say that almost not jokingly um, with the temple in my vein coming out thinking about it, I would have absolutely bought something local to me as my first passive investment property. Um, I would have attempted to buy something nicer. My asset, my my building was not cheap by any means. Um, and I could have bought something decent that would have cash flowed, that would have been newer uh, within an hour of me um, and wouldn't have needed a full gut rehab. Um, I think that's a huge project to take on for the first time and not being local and being in a market that while I understand is not an easy one to do business in, which is why it's a great long-term investment. But I would have stayed closer and I would have done newer um, because same thing, man. It's a very old building, all sorts of weird surprises on the renovation, makes it harder to get work done in a small town. And I think um, approaching my business from that standpoint of I'll buy newer, I'll buy closer um, in markets that I really, really know and understand, focus on depreciation rather than cash flow, um, as well as simplicity and passivity of the investment. So single family duplexes uh, within an hour of me is kind of what I would have approached uh, having having done this now in my business. Yeah, I, I will say from an outside perspective, you'll be thrilled you own that, I think, in just a few years. But yeah, man. And and to all the listeners, this is just what Mason and I, this is our opinion on how we would do it. You know, you'll hear, uh, if it hasn't already come out, an interview with John Klingelhoe. It's a friend of ours over in Wisconsin. And he and his brother have made the rehab, the massive value-add play, rehabbing and repositioning apartments, their active business. And then that allows them to you know, keep some of the rehab buildings as their investments and then flip some of them for their active income, right? They, they've managed to do two and one there. And if that's what you want to do, great. That's just not what I want to do. I want to build an active business that's a cash premium machine and then buy passive or almost passive nice investments. That's it. There it is. Mic drop moment. Dan, you said it well. Um, I, I think we did a good job kind of walking through our history of what it would have looked like starting over from 18 years old and kind of how we would have potentially approached our education and careers differently, as well as our uh, both home ownership, as well as our active business and investing journey differently. But before we head out, is there any other points you want to add to this? I don't think so. No, I, I figure out how to make money, put it in a nice assets. There it is. Very simple. Uh, this is Dan Habercost and Mason McDonald with the Big Picture Blueprint. We'll see you guys next time. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.